Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. We're back at it again, Jonathan. Seems like only yesterday that we were chatting about episode one of Out of the Silent Planet. How was your week? It was good. (laughs) It was really good. It was uneventful except for a woman I met at the bus stop. You met the same woman at the bus stop as you did? I met the same woman. (laughs) Yeah, it was the same woman. It was actually the same day. It was the same week because time moves slow on our planet, slower than it does in Malacandra. Actually, I think it's reverse. Or faster? I think it's faster. I think it's reverse, yeah. 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 There's, and this is a spoiler for you because you haven't read it, but Spencer came over last night and we were chatting about, as you would have guessed it, the Cosmere. Mm -hmm. In Mistborn Era 2, one of the powers that one of the main characters has is called the Speed Bubble. And so in his little area, when he's burning these metals, he's able to create a bubble that slows all of the other time around it down to basically, not zero, but pretty close. Which gives them time to do costume changes or like move around or whatever. But it's like a speed bubble. So it, it, it does that thing where you like your inside are moving at normal time and then everything outside is slow. And then there's 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 also reverse where slow down inside the bubble, speed up everything else outside the bubble kind of thing. So just you made Very me interesting. you made me think of that with your comments on the planet moving faster or slower. But all in all, good week. Fun times. We are recording the second episode here of Out of the Silent Planet. Last time we talked about C.S. Lewis as an author. We talked about the world. We talked about Lewis only writing allegories. Your hatred, your vile disposition toward Narnia and your massive websites you have about how terrible of a book it is. Books it is. Uncontrolled, Uh, seething rage. There we go. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to describe your your absolutism toward it. Everything else by Lewis, fantastic. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh boy! All right, well, let's dive in. Let's talk planet, plot, characters of Out of the Silent Planet. Give us a quick recap about the, just like a two or three sentence about the book. Sure. The here's a plot in three to five sentences. Uh, so while on a walking tour, which is apparently what people did, you know, they didn't have the internet back in the day in the United Kingdom. Before the internet, the philologist Elwin Ransom is drugged and taken aboard a spacecraft bound for a planet called Malacandra. And they get to the planet. He runs away because he, well, he's told by his captors, one of which is a former classmate, that he's going to be a sacrifice to the people of Malacandra because that's what the natives, as they're called they by the demand a sacrifice. Demand the man of human sacrifice. He runs away and becomes a guest of one of the creatures, one of the tribes. 
and they go hunting before he's taken to like the leadership or what you call the archangel of the planet. And he bonds with these people. They discuss human nature. And I, as we mentioned in the previous episode, uh, human nature and, oh, what was it? A curiosity, human curiosity. And somewhere in between there, one of the guys kills the Malachandrian creature that Lewis is hunted with and successfully hunted. And then they're brought before the archangel and are judged. And the other two are made to, well, are revealed to be fools. And then they are sent back home, back to Earth. And the book concludes with the revelation that Ransom wrote the book as a fiction so he wouldn't be thought of insane in the academic circles that he runs in. So that's that's more than five sentences, but that's that's a, a quick that's run a pretty, through. Yeah, that's a pretty good overview. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into the plot here a little more in depth. So Ransom, like you said, he's on a walking tour, and back in the day, apparently, just staying with strangers was normal, which is interesting. So he was like, "Yeah, can I sleep with you tonight at your place?" Because I didn't have a place to stay because I'm on a walking tour, and they're like, "Of course you can. You can stay in the laboratory," <laughs> which is like that's a weird place to put guests, but okay. Here, drink some wine or whatever they give him. Whiskey. He's swept away. Well, the messed up thing, the messed up thing is he walks upon them trying to, like, subdue, like, a dim-witted young man that they have working for them. And he saves him. You know, he replaces him in their little uh, plan to take a human sacrifice back to this planet. Right. Yeah, he, he doesn't know that he volunteered for the position. So then he's swept up and he finds himself awake on a spaceship he finds that space is actually warm and not cold which he makes he makes an interesting observation about but ransom is i guess i'd say berated or hassled by divine and weston like don't talk don't 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 talk we got only a limited number of air you know limited amount of air here it's just like well you should have brought more if you're going to capture someone but they get there, they're wandering around, and then Ransom finds a way to escape, which is because he's overheard that his captors are going to lead him to get sacrificed, like you said. But then he meets some of these creatures, and this is what I wanted to get to, is he meets Sorns, which are like vaguely humanoid aliens, and then he finds lakes and streams, which is like, oh, this is pretty normal. And that the gravity is a little bit lower, significantly lower than Earth's. So I imagine him just kind of like floating around just as he's walking. But the mountains are extremely tall and thin. And then he meets his soon-to-be companion, Ahros, H-R-O-S-S, named Hyoi, who happens to be a civilized creature who can like sort of communicate with him. And then the book really begins, like... It doesn't not begin before this, but this is when the adventure part of the book takes place, where he's kind of just with the Haras, Hoy, and wandering around, learning that gold, that's what it was called, Sun's Blood, gold is just plentiful on Malacandra, and he learns that Divine's motive for this voyage was the Sun's Blood for himself. But then Ransom and Haras are out uh, hunting, and he's learning things about the natives, and he's he's going around, and they meet something called an Eldil, which is like an invisible angelic creature, and the Harasa was like, 
oh yeah, they're around. You don't see them? And he's like, no, no, I don't. Well, let me just back up one, one, one second. So Divine's, yes, his, his greed is for gold. But he also says that his desire is to conquer the planet and to move humans here so they can take over and, you know, live on to make sure that the human species propagate into into the next century or the next, you know, millennium or whatever. And Weston only wants, you know, he's not greedy in the sense this is only for himself and only for some sort of vain, vain uh, survival. Weston truly desires the best for humanity, even though he goes around it in a asinine way. That's what's revealed at the end of the book. So just just for clarity, bef- before we get there, so we don't sound like we're contradicting ourselves, so I wanted to get that in. Yes, right, of course. Mm, very good, very good. So this Alel deal is, talks to Hyoi and Ransom and is telling Ransom he needs to go meet the Oyarsa. It's like, well, what's the Oyarsa? And the Eldil's like, the Oyarsa has summoned you. <laughs> right? So like, this can't be good, which is super fair if you're in this other planet. And as this happens, then they happen to run into, because they're on this hunt when the Eldil comes to them, Divine and Weston, who take a crack, literally, at uh, one of the Harasa companions, and they end up killing him. And then I forget exactly how... They get out of that situation. Do you want to remind me? Because I know then he takes like this bird type thing after that, but I don't remember the the connection between those two. Yeah, I forget the exact series of events, but after that Haras is shot by Divine, the group that Ransom is with, they escape. Yeah. There's a bird involved. I, I, but they escape, and they're taken to the Oyarso. That's, that's where the... That's like the third act, right? That's where it propels them into the presence of the Yarsa, which is the culmination of Lewis's you know, philosophical discussions in the book. Right. So so before we get there, I think it's funny, and I don't know the exact timeline uh, when Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, but I just think it's funny that Ransom is sent to go to the mountains, and he'll find Sorn, which is this bird-type creature, because <laughs> it's going to be quicker to get to the Oyarsa this way, and he just takes a bird right to the end. <laughs> but in Lord of the yeah, Rings, yeah. when Gandalf dies, walk. he's like, run, you fools, or fly, you fools. And it's just like, okay, Gandalf, we're going to walk there. Yep. The eagles are... That is funny. Yeah. So I don't know... And the eagles are like, what the hell is... <laughs> we're... Hey, buddy, hey, yeah. hey. Uh, never mind. So, so Ransom has to actually use... I never thought about that. It's hilarious. No. It, uh, so when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is... And, and frankly, I bet you the timelines don't line up, but to me, it's funny. Or maybe the timelines, because this is all speculation at this point, maybe Tolkien was like, yeah, birds are going to fly you to the end of the book. All right, I'm going to show you that birds exist in this world that are massive that could take people to the end of the, the book, and I'm not going to let them use them. How about that, Lewis? <laughs> I just think that they were probably good. And old given boys. the nature of the Inklings Club, oh, that, yeah. that seems like something they would do. It does. It really does. Yeah. One fun thing to note, though, when Ransom has to fly on the back of the Sorn, is he almost runs out of air, and so he has to be revived with a flask of oxygen, which is kind of cool. Like this otherworldly yeah. device, right? Right. Good. 
Good talk. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking like of our response. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And that's the end of this episode. <laughs> um, no fiffle triggies. I mean, I guess it's interesting. I, like, what what do you what do you want me to comment on? Because he's on a different world in which he can breathe and he can eat and drink the world's food and water and not be affected negatively. It's not like corrosive or hazardous to humans, right? And it's a different different gravity system. Yeah, natural laws are different. So. Sure, they have a flask of oxygen. At this point, the guy made it to a planet on a homemade spaceship. So the fact that I, the I, giant bird yeah, has a yeah. flask of oxygen, okay. <laughs> <laughs> For, I'm, I'm totally f- just ignoring, like, uh, in in this world that they came out of, they, uh, they don't have people buying, you know, stockloads of food and burying themselves in bunkers. They got guys who are going to a, a radio shack and uh, tying some wire together and then going into space. <laughs> yeah. But I want to focus on the oxygen bubble thing. So, all right. Anyway, fair enough. Moving on. Moving no, on. No, l- let, let me know what you're thinking because it might be an interesting side quest. I just, no, I'm not, I I'm just, just not. I, my, my whole thought here was just that we don't really have a lot of new items in this world. We have new natural laws, which is interesting. I don't remember another item being here besides gold and... Like that, ransom gets to interact with, and this flask of oxygen. Yeah. Well, whatever they used to kill the their their hunt spears or something, but those are you know yeah spears are everywhere. They didn't strike me as as unique in the same way that like bottled oxygen. Like, why would they bottle oxygen, flask of oxygen, willy nilly? Like, do they need it sometimes? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. And then after after his journey on the Sorn, he ends up meeting a Fiffletriggy, Fiffletrig, which is kind of just a fun name. There's a lot of G's and F's in there. Yes, but like, there's I have more questions because the Sorn says that the Fiffletriggy are actually the most inventive of the three different types of species, and it's like, well, because Ransom tries to give his watch to the Sorn as like a thank you gift because it's literally all he has. And he's like, no, this isn't good for me. You should give this to the Fiffle Triggies. Okay, great. I will, maybe, or maybe not. <laughs> before his judgment, before the Oyarsa. And then, like, another, you know, now that I think about it, this is another, like, moment of judgment. In, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a time where Aslan is, like, bringing himself to be sacrificed, and there's, like, a ceremony that takes place. And this feels very much like it because all of the creatures kind of come around to wait for the Oyarsa and then stick around for the judgment period as well. Yep. So this just, to me, reinforces the fact that Lewis writes allegories, which are good, but they're allegories. Yeah. So anyway, I've been talking for a hot minute. Do you want to say anything about the Harasa, the Sorns or Sironis? Uh, or the fiffle triggy. A general takeaway is I like the way Lewis writes, whether it's mere Christianity, which is a nonfiction, or screw tape letters, which is fiction but it's pretty straightforward. Or here, the allegory, just like you said, he has a way of piecing together sentences that you know keeps you intrigued. So I found the conversations, especially the judgment, I found that very interesting and captivating. What do you? What do you like about his writing? Like what what get into the specifics like this is one of the few well 
not one of the few, but so far we've read more to me perceivably more third person limited books from point of view, and this is one of the first ones. Well, words are hard this morning. Uh, Second one. This is one of the few so far that has had a single point of view. So we don't have to even talk about literary writers or novelist. Let's just talk about you know journalist. I read an article by a woman named Anna Altman, and she writes for the Atavist magazine. The first time hearing about it yesterday just came across my my feed, and it's about a prisoner uh, who has cancer, and they're trying to work out compassionate release for him. And it's you know if you read the article, it takes about an hour to read. It's a very long article, but the way she strings her sentences together, the words she uses, how the story of his childhood and his incarceration, and then how he's fighting to get out on compassionate leave. It's just well done. You don't get bored. There's no fluff. There's no preaching. She just tells a story about this prisoner. Lewis, in a similar fashion, although he does have a bent because it's an allegory, so he is trying to say something. But for me, when writers do a good job, it's not just using fancy words or anything like that, but how do they tie each portion of the book together, each sentence together. And I think in this book, and in the others I read by Lewis, he does that well, irrespective of length of book, right? If you can write interesting dialogue, whether it's between a bird and a man, or a man and a man, or a woman and and an evil clown, it's halfway there. It's halfway there. Classic. So you like him because you like him. What, What would it be like... Or how how do I say this? How many books have you read that don't have a lot of dialogue, but you still really, really enjoyed? Good question. And yes, first of all, yeah, I like him because I like him. So therefore, there's just that bias there. Sure. I mean, that's I can't I can't throw stones. Yeah, I can't throw stones with my Sanderson Cosmerian and my Cradle series, which I don't think people get my Cradle series, even even Spencer last night. He's finishing book three right now. And at the end of book three is when I think that it really expands. So, I mean, even in our unsold episodes, I was like, what do you guys think about his writing? And you were both like, we've read one book. So, yeah, I don't know. No, and that that's fair. Like, because if somebody really likes an author, they like him because they like his style of writing. Now, there are objective rules to good literature, because otherwise, the, yeah, you, like you couldn't McKittress tell good from bad. Fantastic literature. Exactly. Ross, the best. I suggest her book, Irene Idleside, as <laughs> the culmination of, you know, a lifetime's work. The essence of 21st century the, literature. Exactly. <laughs> Prose beyond, uh, beyond human comprehension, literally. For the most part, this is very subjective. But there are good writers. And Will White, Cradle is a good writer. He writes really well for the genre that he that he writes in. Sanderson is the same way. Stephen King, I think, does a good job for modern horror. He writes characters well. He writes kids especially well. So, yes, I like Lewis. Therefore, I'm going to like his writing. And people who don't care for Lewis might say, eh, whatever. Now, the second part of your question, have I read anything that didn't have a lot of dialogue that I enjoyed. 
I'm sure I have. I am positive. I just can't think. Of yeah, it anything. Right yeah, now. yeah. That and that was really the question. Is like something that stuck out that you might mention to myself in the audience because I can't think of anything that doesn't have a lot of dialogue. I know that there are, and frankly, there's there's this one short story that we read in tenth grade, and I don't remember the name of it. But the whole piece was the the house was the character, and I think it was like post. Oh post nuclear fallout or something like that and the house was like an automatic house i can't remember it but i remember reading that and going this is a really good piece because the 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 house itself was alive but there are no other characters besides the house and so there's no dialogue yeah well i guess poe and lovecraft have certain there's internal dialogue there's the pov of i count i count internal i count internal dialogue dialogue as dialogue yeah because it's like you okay yeah, I'm talking about someone who's so well written in their world that they just can go. The house creaked, but not the normal kind of creaking. It was the creaking that happens just before you walk into a graveyard, something like that, right? Like just making stuff up at this point. <clears throat> yeah, uh, is it by? I don't know. No, it's not by. Uh, I can't remember Frank Peretti. It's not that. No, no, no. I don't think it book. was. No, this was like an book. old Ted author or something but 10th grade was a long okay. time ago also so yeah 10 yeah okay anyway you try to look at but whatever i was going to dive into the dialogue um let's do it well dive into the fact that you like dialogue and then and then shift over to the characters because you can't like dialogue and not like characters like characters can't characters have to be important or you wouldn't like the dialogue is that fair i feel like that's fair yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise, who's saying it? Because he, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that one of the reasons that dialogue is attractive as part of a writing, an element of writing, is because the characters themselves get their own voices. And this is one of the reasons I think Will White does a good job. I think Sanderson does a good job is because each of the characters gets their own voice in the dialogue. And we don't have a lot of uh, characters here. We have, we have enough characters right so we have ransom we have dr weston we have dick divine uh we got the hoy the yurasa his name is dick divine and then the kanaka baraka kanaka baraka is one of the piftigity piffle triggy fiffle triggy the piece silent and then yeah the Maladil, and then we have all the minor characters which i'm not going to list out yeah but the characters are are really good, especially Dick Divine. He is not a caricature of like ooh the evil guy. The way he's written by Lewis, he is a good representation of a greedy, elitist douchebag. <laughs> I was waiting for what you were going to call him. Who wants to um, uh, who wants to settle Mars only so that humans can take advantage of the gold deposits or whatever the the natural resources are of Malacandra, then Weston. So he's a crazy. And we talked Elon about Musk. this. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a little bit more tamer, and he does want to conquer Mars too, but not just to, you know, suck it dry, but as an alternative place to live because according to their worldview, humanity is, you know, on the precipice of <laughs> destruction, I guess, in the 1930s. Um, although there, every generation thinks the world is on the precipice of destruction, it's you know, ni- it happened in the '90s when I was a kid. 
Y2K bug. All that kind of stuff, yeah. And even extreme environmentalism. And you won't find me complaining about people pushing companies and people to be good stewards of the earth and not to dump crap all over the place. The fact that there's a an island of plastic garbage floating around somewhere in the ocean the size of Texas is horrendous. So I guess for Weston, he's somewhere in between there. And he wants Mars to be like an asset for humans instead of just a you know, a coffer where they can just pillage until and suck it dry, just like Dick Divine says, we're going to suck it dry and move to the next planet. <laughs> Paraphrasing. Very much so. Um, it's very graphic. A lot of but, sucking going on. Well. Your words, not yeah. mine. Well, he's a dick. So, and he acts like one in front of these natives, calling them natives in a pejorative sense, just, you know, treating them like, gar- <laughs> like Big, big bang, bang. Garbage. Me bang bang boom boom yeah. boom bang. So even that that that's an insane scene because he's acting like a complete ass. But the way Lewis writes it, and here's maybe I can give a solid, more solid example to my ramblings just a couple of minutes before. The way he writes that scene, it's believable because it's not just a character oh, of a bad ev- evil human capitalist talking about the the natives. Although it is. But the way it's written, it's a believable character. So Ransom and his idiosyncrasies, Weston, Dick Devine's insanity, it's all believable. And then they meet these people who, you know, are Malachandrian creatures, the Hoy, the Hoy, the guy who's named Hoy, <laughs> and the, Sounds the like Hoy. Oyarsa, the guardian spirit. Sounds like Hoy. Yeah, Hoy is a world hopper. Oh, boy. I know. I know. <laughs> so the Yarsa, the guardian spear, the archangel of the world, as you call them, th- from the different perspective, they're the fantastical creatures, right? They're not human creatures that are believable. Extra planner. Lewis does a good job of creating these characters, these fictional characters, fantastical characters, because everything's fictional here, but mm-hmm. these fantastical characters where when they interact with the humans and when they speak, that dialogue part again, when they, when Lewis through them presents a philosophy or presents a, a worldview, it's also done in a way where it's believable. Do you think it's easy to write unique characters? No. No. As somebody who's tried writing, like, seriously, not just, you know, poetry in ninth grade to impress a girl, but seriously has taken on I feel like you're just writing. calling me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we all have our, uh, we've all been dig divine at once. Oh, boy. Yeah. No, no, I'm kidding. So I've been writing a story that's autobiographical in a very loose sense because it does focus on an event in my life, but it's also a horror short story. And I've been trying to write that for five years. And I sit down, I write, I rewrite. I've written the introduction numerous times. And as a kid, I used to write short stories. And I wasn't bad for a kid. Let's 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 be yeah, honest here. Yeah. As a kid, I put you know it's pretty damn good, I guess. But I, I never stuck with it, and as per usual for Slava. And I understand certain elements of writing because I've read enough. I've written some stuff. I've read about writing. I've listened to lectures and discussions by authors on the craft of writing. So I think I know what I'm talking about, and it's hard as hell. I'm trying to write the father figure for this uh, short story, and I'm trying to write the, the bad guy the antagonist in this novel, which is a horror book, so he's a, he's actually a murderer. Um, Classic. And it's it's a lot. 
and partly because I'm not practicing the craft is why when I get to it every couple of months, I'm like... So that was going to be my follow-up question is like, how often do you write? Because I think this is an interesting side quest where like writing is hard. I know that this this podcast itself is about literature and, and our take on these books that we read. And, and I have a, a visceral distaste for books that I have a distaste for, right? Like I have no problem calling them out. But at the end of the day, and I, and I think that it's hard to convey this, I have the utmost respect if you finished your piece of art. I went to film school. Making a feature film is hard. Making a TV show is hard. Making a web series is hard. Doing content, like good content, like short 30-second, 90-second pieces that we all really enjoy takes hours. Takes time. Takes timing. Yeah. Like, it's not easy. So it's it's very easy for us to armchair quarterback this stuff, even though the the physical reps that you have to put in for writing these things is tumultuous. It's it's heavy lifting. It's it's a burden even. Yeah, absolutely. And as an example, that one that I've used and will use again, I'm sure in this podcast is Stephen King's ending of Needful Things. Great book, fantastic story. A horrible ending. But I still respect King. I can't imagine the amount of work that he has to put in to write the stories that he does. It's no small feat. So I could have respect for an author just for the simple fact that, hey, you took the time. Yeah. You put in the energy. And you've convinced enough people that this is worth reading and they responded positively. Great. 100%. I want to follow this side quest for a minute. I told you that I had this like secret YouTube channel with Chris. Let me read you some of the hate that I've gotten. It's great. <laughs> Let's do it. This is this is oh boy. Oh boy. All right, let's see here. One of the most recent things that we recorded was we watched Watership Down. Okay. And I'm looking for it here. Because I got older, I've turned into a boomer and can't remember how to do anything. Um, oh, here we go. Just Google it. Google Google YouTube. Okay. Oh, <laughs> boy. Thanks. Um, oh, here we go. Here we go. And this got 41 up likes. Amazing movie. Remember, we watched Watership Down. Amazing movie. Reacted to by a loudmouth, energy drink consuming Muppet. A surprisingly unwoke millennial feigning offense and a reasonable guy feeling a bit awkward by the rank, wanky reactions of his of, of his offsiders, and I'm out. Uh, okay. So uh, I bet he won't say that to your face. Yeah, probably not. And and person below that. Well, that saved me saying it. Agreed, a hundred percent. Please don't bother reacting to anything else. Guy on the left needs some new friends. Which was my friend Chris who who recommended us watching this. Such disservice to this deeply thoughtful animated masterpiece of richard adams critique of humanity and nature 100 percent agree so yeah hate hate's gonna happen um it's gonna it's gonna happen if i wanted to watch this shit i'd watch mystery science theater 3000 that could be a compliment uh, i think so too your ignorance of john hurt is astounding somebody <laughs> somebody just wrote boo boo and i was like oh man it's funny. Fail reaction from uninterested extras. Don't let them near anything after 2015. Maybe then their cool want-to-be YouTube reactions might hit the mark for five-year-olds. People are just, like, ruthless on here. So you were called unwoke millennial? Um, Probably. 
I think the loudmouth okay. energy drink consuming Muppet is my friend Ryan. I'm probably the unwoke millennial feigning offense. And then Chris is the reasonable guy feeling a bit awkward by the wanky reactions of his offsiders. Would be my guess. 41 upvotes on that. Awesome. Uh, so clearly people don't enjoy what we, whatever we thought. I mean, this is from three years ago, two so years ago. So what did ago. you think? Like, Watership Down, like, what, did you, did you just shit on it or? Oh, probably. Like, okay. Well, f*** them then. <laughs> I, I, look, look, here's the thing. You can like a show and I can dislike a show and that's fine. And you can frankly dislike the commentary that I have to say. Look, don't watch the, don't watch the reaction. It's fine. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Look, because no, listen, and let's let's go back to Stephen King. If I meet if I meet somebody somewhere in a bar <laughs> in the airport, and for some reason we get talking about books, and he just absolutely demolishes, you know, well, demolish whatever in his own head. He just craps all over King, and he thinks that King is the, the worst. Okay, what does that have to do with me? Am I King's son? A, just as a fan of his, am I gonna? People are so attached. So attached. Good lord! This is why I don't understand. Like people, and I like sports. I, I love me some good college ball. But when people go nuts after sporting events or have this intense attachment to a football team, and if they're they're rivals, it's not just good fun. It's not in good natured fun. Haha! Cowboys suck, or you know, Green Bay Packers are losers, or whatever. But it's it's an actual personality trait and it becomes like almost a, like a religious experience for them to hate the other team. I'm like, I, d- you are a devolved human being. You're not like, you are an animal. Like that happens to have some sentience. Like I, I can't talk to you. I can't stand people like that. Right. And whether it's anime, whether it's sporting events, whether it's movies, whether it's celebrities, people who like idolize a thing to the point where their whole personality is attached to it. I don't get it, and and I will judge. Well, so so I find it just you know how people are like don't judge me, don't judge me. You, can, you I you will. Don't, you don't know me. Don't judge me. It's actually part of our humanity to judge, even if you believe in evolution. Part of the fact that we made judgments on what was safe and what was unsafe is literally how we've survived for millennia. Right, and that you know that pseudo intellectual idiot that says don't judge me, I am who I am, makes judgments every single. God forsaken day. Right. About others. So shut up. Right. It's it's this lack of self reflection. I, I just read you a bunch of people who were hating on me and because I probably said negative things about a movie that they really liked, and it's like, okay, cool. Look, those people are judging me. And you know what? If I don't give them the power, then they don't have the power. Just go, oh okay, someone on the exactly. internet doesn't like me. You gotta laugh at that stuff. Like like how can you take that personally? This person doesn't know me. Yeah, it's fine. Right. This is not seventh grade Jonathan getting bullied by some asshole. Or Slava, for that matter. Right. Because I was, I was bullied pretty bad in fifth grade. That's personal. That's in your face. That's something that could probably hurt feelings or, or worse. Some idiot on the internet complaining about you rambling about something on the internet. Who care, man? Cool. Like, don't watch give it. Give me a break. Bye. Yeah, don't go away. It's Bye. just funny. Bye, it's Felicia. just funny. It's funny to me because it's like this person clearly didn't like it. And you know what? That hasn't stopped me from making content. It's not going to stop me from making no, content. Because here's the not. thing: if you are liked by everyone, you're doing something wrong. Really, you are. Like it means that you don't have any of your own opinions, and you're just pandering to whoever, whatever tribe you're a part of. Like exactly. That's it. So we've we've that's it. We've done the thing where we divulged into 
a different conversation. We did. Last episode, we did really well. <laughs> we did really well last episode. And then this episode, you know, train went off the rails. Yeah, seems that way. Anyway, next time, episode one of Dune, I think. Does that sound right? I think you're right. I don't think we had anything planned after the Silent Planet that wasn't Dune, right? Because we, we, we wanted Dune to come out at a particular time. Yeah. So it can coincide with the movie. So we can, you know, it can be a decent conversation and we can, and we can well, watch before, the movie too maybe. Yeah, before the movie. But yes, yes, yep. Yeah. Uh, and we might yeah. actually do a video piece with Chris on this channel that I was talking about. And then if we do, you can go and look at all the negative comments. And you can be one of the negative comments. We'd yeah. love for you to negatively comment on the videos. That'd be great. Yeah. I want some hate. Bring on the hate. Your hate <laughs> feeds me. Your hate <laughs> feeds me. When we go on that channel, I want all the hate. I, I live on it. And uh, to quote Rick Sanchez, your booze mean nothing to me. I've seen what makes you cheer. Goodbye, good people. <laughs> Whatever. Yes, yes, I was that's, waiting for you to say that. There's no... All right, well, that's the episode. All right, good to see you all. Hear you, hear me, hear... We out. We out here. <laughs>